Dong Earthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 114th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode we're covering 2000 AD for April and May 1984, progs 366 to 369. This episode, The Mutant Rebellion Reunites, Slain Flies Off, DR and Quinch Mind the Oranges, and Dave the Orangutan Runs for Mayor. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. It was such a good couple of fucking issues, man. I like this orangutan. Absolutely. Yeah. If you want to read along with us, you'll find the comments we're covering today in Judge Dredd, Complete Case Files 7, Strontium Dog, SC Agency Files 2, Rogue Trooper, Tales of New Earth 2, Slain, Time Killer, The Complete DR and Quinch, and The Complete Future Shocks Volume. I don't know yet. Anyhow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, exciting stuff. Hopefully you'll be able to find everything somewhere um, as we enter some real classic comics. You know, it's uh, things are really heating up here in 2000 AD. And speaking oh. of heat, it's... Th- yeah, Thrill One Slain. Beautiful. Uh, I love how... Uh, oh, wait, I'll let you do the quick. <laughs> oh, no, no problem. Uh, script robot Pat Mills, art robot Massimo Bellardinelli, lettering robot Tom Frame. Man, I love how start of this scene, it's scream slain, and then suddenly remember, shit, don't scream. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next to the dragon maid nest is, um, is, is sorry, the, dra- let, let me start again here. Um, dragon maid nest is chained to a sacrifice post as the evil Mata, an ancient dragon that only sees in heat, in a infrared heat, sniffs around her, slain Uko and the Nooker, the, the, uh, her, uh, bull dragon that flies around and is real cool, have arrived to save her, but as she calls out to them, she forgets that the Mata is looking for the heat of her cries. Yeah, the delicious golden cloud. Yeah. Luckily, uh, the villagers that have tied that have tied nest up are now shooting arrows at the Mata, so it starts burning them alive. They really just make a series of very poor decisions by going after these dragon people. This whole Had they just ignored yeah. all of it. This woman would still have sons alive. She'd still have it. I mean, she'd have lost one, but she wouldn't have lost like the other three at least. Although some of those are also from uh, the interaction of, of of Slain and all this stuff as well. I mean, he cut one of their faces off last episode. Well, <laughs> they attacked him. Yeah, fair enough. So uh, yeah, Kikva the fish as as you said, yeah, the Kikva the fishwife's thirst for vengeance has started this. Now two more of her sons have died with the flames of the Mata. Uh, Slain flies in aboard the Nooker, and the two dragons start fighting in midair. It's so awesome. Um, oh, man. We get so many gnarled bodies ripping at each other over the next couple pages. Absolutely. Um, Uko, who stole the dragon horde from the Nooker, uh, it, it gets knocked off, and he jumps off after it. As the two mighty worms fly, fight high above the ground, the Nooker is young and fit, and has slain in its back pocket, but the Mata has tons of experience, which, as we'll learn in other comics, counts for a lot this week, or, or, or this episode. Um, 
They fight and crash into a nearby lake. Kikva attacks Nest as she frees herself, and Nest punches her in the face. <laughs> the dragons keep on fighting, but the Mata's flame has gone out. Oh, um, dude, in, like, this gross picture of, like, what yeah. helps make a spark, which are these two exposed bones in their throat. It's crazy, yeah. Unfortunately, although his flame has gone out, the Mata is instead biting a nerve point on the neck of the Nooker. Slain is there, however, and attacks with his axe, but the axe shatters on the diamond skull of the Mata, and the resulting sparks from the stone axe uh, exploding. Man, no, man, <laughs> yeah, it manages to relight the Mata's flame, so now Slain is helpless before the flaming dragon. Rest in peace, brain fighter. Yeah. You beautiful stone bastard. R.I.P., you mighty axe. May you be kissed by many in the future. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Kissed an axe heaven. Me, me, uh, so weaponless as the matter breathes fire, Slain runs and snags an anchor from a nearby Dude. boat. Such an upgrade. It's real cool looking. He slices open the matter's gut and then throws it into the beast's mouth where it wedges it open and causes the dragon's own flame to interact with its inflammable venom and causes the whole thing to blow up from the inside out. My favorite thing is that he just, he's in the water, shoots out of the water while throwing the anchor upwards and it just gets into the thing's mouth. It's yeah. just such a cool action scene. Because it's hooked, you can't like pull it out and stuff like that. Exactly. But so now the the Mata is exploded and it's time to head off. Um the uh it turns out that um because there'll now be three people on the Nooker's back, they they'll have to ditch the dragon horde to carry them. Or I mean I guess they could ditch Uko instead and then take the treasure, but Uko's less interested in that. Um <laughs> The villagers are now rich, and we learn that Nest has killed her uncle, but uh, she's done with the farm life. And so instead she wants to see more of a Tyr Nanog. And uh, who's to blame her? You know, it's the land of the young. I'm gonna I'm gonna blame her a little bit here because you know what would be really fucking useful for you on your adventures out into the world is like just a little bit of spending money. And for mm. fuck's sake, she farmed gems. It's true. That, yeah, they could have like at least like filled their pockets with 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 part of the dragon horde or something. But who's to say? You know. Uh, yeah, that's true. Our heroes ride off into the sunset. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, First Nest tells the story of how dragons came to be. Oh, yeah. With some really awesome art by Bellardinelli here. Also gross, I guess. (laughs) I mean, it's dragons eating a triceratops. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it's basically like apparently dragons were once small winged dinosaurs that grew fat by eating the dead bodies of larger dinosaurs that died off in the extinction and eventually evolved into dragons. But as you do, right? Yeah, exactly. Our heroes fly off into the sunset as Slough Feg is reborn from the slime by the sexy Droon priestesses. And he's got sweet antlers. Yeah, he looks much younger here than he did before, actually. Mm. He um, arises anew, and we learn of their plans. We we learn that uh, Slain was saved by druids. And that, uh, Maeve has arrived in the Northern Kingdoms. Meanwhile, the Druids are moving glaciers, allowing the evil Fomorians to sweep south and begin attacking the Earth Goddess tribes with the help of Druid military advisors! So, like, they're using these weird stones to make these giant 
glacial monster faces yeah slide across the land and destroy stuff and the coolest part is you can see a bunch of warriors standing in the eyeballs and in the brain cavity of this massive maw it's really awesome yeah so the fremorian toy definitely the fremorians which are sort of these frog shark guys conquer people and then charge them a nose tax so you either gotta pay because you have a nose or you gotta lose that nose Dude. Won't Slain be surprised to find that his own tribe, the Cesar, have been conquered? That is, of course, if he survives the trip north. Oh, man. And I guess we're going to take a hiatus now. The end of Slain! Right. It's getting... Oh, but not forever, right? Oh, no. Uh, Slain's really been burning hot for these last 38 progs. Man, it's been such an amazing debut since Prog 330, right? It feels like he's a integral part of the progs now, I feel like, even though he's actually, like, a really new character. Um, it's such a strong agree. Yeah. I, I, It's always really uh, shitty when, like, something ends that's so great. <laughs> hey, you know, but I mean, I think it's good to have these sort of, you know, pauses just to kind of collect ourselves and get new stuff going. Slain will return in March of 1985, almost a year from, from where we are now, you know, which... Oh, is a bummer, but we'll be real cool. He'll come back with a new art team and start getting real crazy. It's going to be real exciting. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm really stoked about it. I think, yeah, the, the next section, we're going to get to a part where we're going to start playing D&D on this show through the 2000 oh. AD progs and stuff. It's going to be real awesome. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, cause they're gonna have like actual, like, uh, like stats and like, uh, you know, adventure stuff with dice rolling in the actual pages of the props. Oh, shut up. That's <laughs> yeah. so great. It's gonna be real good. Um, and speaking of things that are real good and things rolling around, it's Thrill 2, Dealer and Quinch. Oh man, this is so good. <sighs> so, uh, script robot Alan Moore, art robot Alan Davis, letting robot Steve Potter. So DR and Quinch go to Hollywood continues. DR looks very dejected as he starts the filming of the movie. The set includes heavy artillery, women dressed as giant crabs, and incredibly strange, awful, insane creatures with blowtorches. Uh. It's really great. It's everything you need to make a movie except one final ingredient. Yeah, like 16,000 oranges. Yeah, and, and a readable script, perhaps? Uh, <laughs> I mean, we'll figure that in post. Yeah, it's really taxing, of course, because the script is unreadable and the star, uh, Marlin, is both illiterate and incomprehensible. Uh, 16,000 oranges are wheeled out as Marlon man- Marlon's manager asks what the heck like we're doing with this movie. And we store the insane mind-bending set, culminating in, of course, the giant mountain of oranges with a huge neon sign in front of them. It says, like, just, you know. It says, Don't danger- touch the citrus fruit, man. Yeah, danger, do not touch these monstrously hazardous citrus fruits, man. In neon. <laughs> it's real good. But that's not enough to warn off the uh, illiterate Marlin who grabs one and is crushed in an orange avalanche. Mind the oranges, Marlin. And that is the name of the movie. Absolutely. It's a stroke of inspiration as everybody involved with the movie prepares to beat DR to death. (laughs) And, of course, the thing that would inspire DR to make the greatest film of a generation would be uh, someone's death. 
Absolutely. So with the movie complete, Dr. and Quinch are the are doing the talk show rounds. They talk first to Barry Normal, who's based on British movie talk show host Barry Norman. Things get touchy when he doubts the claim that Marlon died of natural causes, i.e., being crushed by thousands of oranges. <laughs> At that point, yeah, uh, your good old buddy Quinch just chokes him to death. Yeah, well, he's just alive enough to send it back to Clive James, another famous uh, movie chat show host who gives us a review and synopsis of Mind the Oranges. He calls it piquant and perplexing. The movie seems to be uh, pretty nuts. Just like, um, <laughs> just it's basically just like Quinch wandering around filming things as insanity occurs, like with like his arm reaching out and stuff. And it's funny because Clive talks about this being an intentional choice as opposed to just being a bunch of like alien psychopaths, like just having fun, basically. <laughs> My favorite part is that uh, he references that scene, which apparently Quinch did a slow-mo of Marlon being crushed to death by <laughs> It's amazing. Um, we cut to the studio chief, who's incredibly, who's incredibly angry. He swears revenge on DR, Quinch, and the scriptwriter TJ. <laughs> God, they're all done. It's true, but it seems the movie has in fact become a cult hit among the youth, like watching it Rocky, Rocky Horror Picture Show style, like calling out key lines and key places and stuff. Jesus. <laughs> Meanwhile, DR and Quinch return home with the secretly with the top with the box office takings, and they find the body of TJ still lying in the curb of the bus station. A month later, hell, it's a bloody outrage. <laughs> This is horrible. What kind of what kind of dirt bags would just leave a dead body for this long? Yeah, seriously, it's a shame when suddenly TJ wakes up. Oh God, he must have had a stroke or something, but then just got better. He like comes to like right in mid in mid sentence. Um, but he's back and he's full of fire. He grabs his script and head off to uh, conquer Hollywood, not knowing the fate that awaits him. That showbiz, man. <laughs> that's so great. Also, the end, man. And that's pretty much the end of Dr. and Quinch, actually. Um, that's that's horse garbage. Sorry, man. This was real good. Yeah, definitely. There's another Dr. and Quinch story in the 2080 annual this year, and then mm. they, they'll return for some single page comics, like at, at the end of the of, of the prog, basically in yeah. uh in a 1987. But those won't be written by Alan Moore, so it's not quite the same. Ah, uh, okay. I was gonna say if there's anything that could actually stand to be a one page and and really do it it would be this as opposed to say dash decent oh yeah i mean i i forget exactly how good those are but i remember them being okay and it's, it was fun to see those characters again um but yeah that's this is it for the progs for the progs of dr and quench you know very that's very rough. sad just like you know a couple months and then we're gone i do think it's really funny again i i, th I think i said this before like they for at the uh, 10th anniversary of of a uh, 2080 they like asked alan moore about dr and quench and he completely disavowed them he's like i don't remember Whoa. when i wrote the why i wrote these what i was thinking they're weird and i no longer claim credit for them or something like Whoa. that <laughs> Really? Cause yeah. Like, I mean, this is good. I mean, yeah, okay, so you you fucking wrote skiz, but, like, at the very least, I mean, these guys deserve a home. They're beautiful. Yeah, I just think they might be a little bit more misanthropic for his taste at the time, you know? I got you. 
Oh man. Sorry, take a drink. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow. But yeah, Stop and, monkeying around over Oh there. god. Oh man, now I got to leave that in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of monkeying around, it's Thrill 3 Judge Dread. <laughs> so script robot for Judge Dredd, John Wagner, and Alan Grant as TV Grover. Art robot Ron Smith, letting uh, uh, sorry, art robot Ron Smith and Jim Bakey, letting robot Tom Frame. Man, it's time to do Fox's favorite activity and chill with an orangutan. Oh yeah, man, it's portrait of a politician. One of my favorite stories. The portrait in question is, of course, Dave the orangutan. Man, <laughs> he's really chilled out. Although I gotta say, as a man who enjoys a fine sazerac. Uh, a banana rack, or whatever they call it. Yeah, a banana rack does not sound delicious. A sazerac that tastes like bananas. Hmm. I don't know if I'm familiar with that one, I gotta say. But, sazerac? um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I haven't had that drink, I don't think. But, anyhow. <laughs> at a, uh, at a bar in Mega City One, Billy Smart is hanging out with his buddy Dave the Orangutan. Um, Dredd stops by and hassles them briefly, but, but Billy's got a license, and Dave doesn't bother anybody, so whatever. Just keep it keep it that way and move along. <laughs> Which is interesting, because how would Judge Dredd have known to check the bar unless there was a complaint? Does he just have ape sense? Yeah, maybe just kind of stop by. You know, just he occasionally just gets like a wild hair about you know his uh, his uh, crime sense pings, and he's got to oh stop God. by just to make sure that everything's okay. You know. He's got a crime detector. I mean, kind of, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay, yeah. well, whatever. So, Bill, at the bar, Billy dec- continues to decry the state of the world, as you do. Um, when a sports show comes on TV, the analysts are predicting the outcome of the Super Bowl, the Southside Radiators versus the Old Town Rats. They go all the way for the Radiators, um... And doubting their knowledge, Billy calls in and says that Dave the Orangutan could pick better than them. I mean, Mo was getting real upset about it. It's a whole thing. But uh, yeah, so Dave picks the rats and everybody laughs. And here we get kind of a 2080 crime discrepancy because we're supposed to know that the rats will win, but we won't see why they will until next episode when there's a little bit of flashback as part of, uh, it's part of Cadet Judge Decker's first patrol. But anyhow, what happens is the rats win 94 to zero and Dave is vindicated. There's only one thing to do for this sports show and it's hire that monkey or, uh, ape, but you know what I mean. I, I like just like coming out of this. It's like the bar loves this ape, absolutely, and everybody else thinks that it's bunk. And man, oh man, Dave's great. Uh, yeah, totally, man. Dave gets brought on to do sports prognostication. The experts doubt him, but whatever, man. Um, the results come in for the day, and Dave gets fifteen out of twenty results uh, correct, which is frankly pretty good. Um, you know, 75%, which is better than the 20 average that they those guys are betting. Yeah. Even a, uh, chicken pecking randomly should get 50% right, says Dread, and that you should draw your own conclusions from that. <laughs> <laughs> Dave is now a TV sensation, and both gamblers and people who rob gamblers love him. <laughs> I, love, I loved that whole thing where it's just, it's the man, Dave's great, and 
and I won so much money from gambling. And then a crook is like, gambling's illegal. Smack, take, good old Dave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Giving you a lot of money for me to steal. <laughs> Man, everybody loves Dave. Yeah. He's just making everything great. Yeah. Moving beyond sports, Dave is asked to pick the ma- the next mayor of Mega City One. but As, in- as part of a trick. Yeah. Trying to trick him. Yeah, exactly. Because instead of... The actual candidates, like guys from the All Out War Party or the Lib Lab Flab Alliance and stuff. Lib Lab, I'm yeah. so a part of. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a liberal labor and flabby, you know. <laughs> Instead, he picks the joke candidate, namely his own picture. I you mean, know. yeah, he'd make a pretty good candidate. He's beaten his chest. But that's uh, that's the whole joke. He's not actually in the race. Yeah, well, it's no, it's not cool that these guys are making fun of Dave. And a cry goes up, like, why shouldn't he be mayor? Like, come on, in why fact, not indeed? The, the entire bar erupts, and they're like, you know what, this is some horse garbage. Yeah. We're going to make this fucking ape the goddamn mayor. And so does the rest of the city, because suddenly the Justice Department gets 37,000 nominations for Dave overnight, and the council decides to let him run under the old, uh, there's nothing in the rule book saying a mule can't kick football's rule, kick field goals rule. He's, uh, he's Francis the mule into this mayoral election. <laughs> Dave oh is in God. the race. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love Judge Dredd's reaction, which is like, I see no reason to oppose it. Some good may even come of it, because yeah. Dave might get elected. Yeah, totally. He doesn't ca- he doesn't care for civil government that much. He might as well just have an ape in there. Um, That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> negative ads are out in force against Dave, and Dredd has been assigned to protect the candidate just in time, especially as a driver from the oddball from the oddball party takes a few shots at him. Which, what the hell, man, trying to drive up the odds in their favor. Taking a crack shot at Dave is just plain rude. Yeah, it's bunk. Um, election season is going overboard as the Lib Lab Flab candidate is killed in a confrontation between his faction, no! the, the Young Norms, and the Uglies. Uh, Dave's an early favorite to the chagrin of the all-out war party that tries to take him out until Dredd intervenes. <laughs> I mean, when you got Judge Dredd as your bodyguard, I feel like just back off. Definitely. Billy uh, B- Billy Smart gives a great speech for Dave, and Dave wins a debate by just sort of dancing around orangutan style when asked about, like, healthcare or something. <laughs> yeah, which is, like, really, like, what more do you want than a show? Definitely. Uh, so voting co- time comes, and by a landslide, Dave wins a much larger margin of victory than certain <laughs> other political orangutans I could mention. Anyhow... Oh. <laughs> Dave gets the uh, chain of office, a very sort of a mayor of London looking thing. I don't know if, if we have those actually in America, but whatever. It looks like a cool necklace. Yeah, and now he's got now he got Mayor Dave. Good times, dude. Let me tell you, I think the world's looking real bright. We're talking like drinks. We're talking uh, for healthcare. Like it's gonna yeah. be great. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, we're gonna see a little bit more of Mayor Dave as as, as time goes on. He is, in fact, the mayor of Mega City One, best mayor ever. Um, <laughs> Dude, that's great. Next up, uh, the art here is done by uh, Skiz artist Jim Bakey, which I'm pretty stoked about. I think it's real good. Um, mm. A judge has been killed in a robbery. Dreads on the case. He managed to take out the perp, but it's a near thing. He's pretty good, but not that good. Yeah, what the hell? This guy's like... Yeah, he's like holding his own, fighting Judge Dredd hand-to-hand. Yeah. Dredd takes him... Yeah, it is weird. So Dredd takes him in for interrogation, and he says he's Huckleberry Pym, or is he? Dredd is suspicious, 
um, that an average Joe citizen would suddenly be a skilled criminal. My, my favorite thing is about to be said, so just rip that band-aid off. It's oh, the best. What? I, I, I don't have to talk about it. Like, you see, he checks his identity and says, What's your name? Huckleberry Pym? That's a lie! <laughs> but, um, sorry, what's what, what's the line, Fox? Fill, fill me in. So, here's the deal. He really thinks that this guy's lying, but the dude's sticking to his guns, he's beating the lie detector. So who do you call? Oh, yeah. You know that the guy is lying, but the lie detector won't catch it. Yeah, you you call him the dream police, which is a goddamn (laughs) cheap trick, Fox. It's a cheap trick. (laughs) And that's... (coughs) And it's funny because cheap trick to Jeep dream police. Anyhow, uh, oh, Pim dreams of judges, specifically Judge Dana, who was set to tighten four years ago. They check his appendix to see if it was chemically burned off the way they have uh, uh, judges do, and it was. And eventually, Pim breaks and confesses that he's actually Judge Dana, and he switched places with Humper with Huckleberry Pim rather than be sent to tighten. Which, as we know, as we know, but as some of the readers might not know, that's a real bad stint. That's right. Yeah, they uh, they put you up there to do moon mining, and they like give you like a, a bunch of cybernetic um, alterations so you can live up there and just mess you up for the rest of your life, basically. Um, so they so Dread takes Dana up to the distant moon of Titan, where he where Dana goes to his rightful place, and Huckleberry Pym is freed. No compensation for can make up for what happened, but at least now Dana is mining in deep space instead. God, what a horrible mix-up. Super really rough. Horrible mix-up. Well, it's not a mix-up, man. He switched them. It, like had he had malice when he did it, you know. That's um, true. But yeah, real bleak, kind of a bleak dread ending here for sure. But you know, yeah, just a good a good downer to take you down after um after Mayor Dave getting elected. Dude, you know? I know we were just I was on such a Mayor Dave high, and then it was like, oh, no. by the way, this guy has spent most of his he spent like, four, life four years and irreparably medically altered because of uh because he was swapped out for for Judge Dan. No face changing you can do. It's just mm-hmm. like your organs are now different. Yep. Yeah, and speaking of uh, terrifying letdowns, Fox, it's oh. non-thrills, covers, and nerve centers. <laughs> Thing of beauty. We start with Prague 366. You're a dead dog, Alpha. <laughs> it's a pretty cool cover. Yeah, demo. definitely. Uh, Johnny and Wolf are in trouble in this Carlos Escara cover. Um, I like it. This one has a little funny piece where... Um, Wolf has like his his hand up to his head, like he's like, "Oh, this is a bad day." <laughs> Dude, just like, oof, that's a lot of guys. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's only a quarter size nerve center this this issue, um, without right. any fan art or letters or anything. Apparently, because the nerve center is running low on groats or something. But yeah, okay. But there is a big fan art section at the end of the uh, of the prog. This this. Like, it's this one and I think a couple more. They're awesome. Yeah, there's a bunch of them uh, all this all this month. Um, I love the upside-down toilet called yeah. the Space Wester. Well, hold on till we get to it, buddy. Oh, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 actually, no. I take that back. Let's talk about it. Yeah, there's an underground space toilet or an upside-down space toilet. There is... Um, T- uh, British TV references. There's, a, there's the Last of the Summer Judges, which is a... Well, uh, 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 a reference to the British TV show, The Last of the Summer Wine. 
Dude, la- okay. So shout out. I love Last of the Summer Wine. Those have you ever seen an episode? I think I've seen maybe like part of one or something like that. I know it's my all old guys. Yeah, yeah. Is like the oldest dude. He's well, because at least from what my grandmother was telling me, it's like the actors might change sometimes. Hmm. Something like this, but whatever. the The oldest guy is like just a complete lech, and I'm so into. <laughs> awesome. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and I just like how they're all wearing hats over their judge helmets and stuff. And there's also uh, uh, Thargo fix it. Which is probably best not remembered because it's a reference to uh, the now disgraced uh, Jimmy Savile. Um, oh, there's also Rugger Tharg, which is rugby playing Tharg. Um, <laughs> Prague 367, Slain Dragon Slayer, which has Bellardinelli drawing Slain taking up that anchor to fight the Mata in an awesome cover. Dude, so great. Yeah, they're such great weapons. They're cool weapons, man. Um, there's another quarter size nerve center this week, as we're apparently again short on groats. Tharg says he's fending off predatory advertisers, as well as people trying to make a Tharg Wars movie. <laughs> then, Whoa. yeah, then there's more 10 pound prizes in the back with uh, a Judge Quinch and a Judge DR, which is a very popular, man. um, uh, dread picture parody. Um, and then there's also, um, a Judge Bampot and a Judge Hippie. All right. There you go, man. <laughs> In, uh, Prague 368, we got a fun Ron Smith cover as Dread protects Dave from gunfire. Still want to stand for mayor. It's an election bullet in. Ha <laughs> uh... Yeah. It also appears that Tharg has taken up some advertisers on their offers, as now the top letter or piece of art every week will get an anime cassette from Mountain Video. Be sure to indicate whether you want beta or VHS for your prize. Well, uh, spoilers, kids in the past, get VHS. I mean, that's the one that's going to win. Letters are about overseas subscriptions and in-universe quotes or or questions, I should say, about DR and Quinch get drafted. More art on the back of this prog, including Tharg the Green God doing some aerobics, DR and Quinch fishing a huge fish with a mallet, and a gravity trooper and Nipponese Merc Grenadier, which I am just going to assume are traced. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, the gravity trooper just looks so dope. He looks so good that it's hard to um, it's hard to imagine him being drawn by a kid as opposed to copy off of something. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Um, f- finally, three sixty nine. The Alpha Gang are wanted. Uh, this is this is re- a great cover. It's used in a lot of stuff. Even like there's a new Strontium Dog like miniatures game coming out, and they used this cover as part of their promotional material oh, and stuff. Really? Yeah. Um, in the Nerve Center, Tharg, Orwell, and Big Bert direct traffic for the issue. There's a picture. Uh, oh, go ahead. No, I said that. It was awesome. I yeah, love it's really Big it's, Bert is um is um watching you. There's a picture yes. of a tentacolon by Simon Howard, which also may be tra- uh, traced. And uh, letter writers <laughs> send in their weapon choices for next year's killing, including a video of Coronation Street and a wow. picture of somebody's gruesome sister. And I appreciate how the gruesome sister letter is anonymous because you don't want your sister to know. <laughs> that's uh, that's great. <laughs> Mid Prague, there's a great Dr. and Quinch pinup in color with memorabilia from all their awesome adventures just thousands of oranges everywhere it's amazing 
And there's the result of both the video game caption contest and the crime fighting competition. Congrats to win. all winners. We did not win once again. Sadly, uh-huh. our prize remains just the ability to read awesome thrills in 2000 AD. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Any, right, yeah. Anyhow, but uh, I don't know. Speaking of uh, winning some kind of contest, it's Thrill Force Strontium Dog. The contest for your lives. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Script robot Alan Grant and John Wagner as Alan Grant. Art robot Carson Scarlet and robot Jack Potter. So, uh, Johnny and Wolf. I mean, they're on the run still. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to escape the doghouse using the escape pods. But they've been found out by other dogs that are trying to kill them. Johnny uses a beam polarizer to po- to nullify their guns, but it doesn't work when wh- when one of them throws a gas grenade. Luckily, oh the old guard, their old buddies from the mutant rebellion, Middenface McNulty, yes. the torso from Newcastle, and yes. Evans the Fist show up oh. just in time. Awesome. Yeah, they know Johnny's innocent and are throwing in to clear his name. The old guard is together again, along with Frinton Fuzz, son of Clacton Fuzz. Hey, that guy was all right. Welcome yeah, to the team. absolutely. With the torso at the controls, the escape pods launch, and they take a, have to take immediately evasive action against an interceptor ship. They smash through the atmosphere into the heart of the Antarctic rainforest and pile out the torso's unconscious, and Johnny has to carry him as the interceptor begins a strafing run. Oh my god. It's just, like, uh, so much action. Totally. Yeah, the Interceptor's buzzing them, Johnny takes it out with a number four cartridge, and the old guard make their way deep into the jungles of Antarctica. Commenting, of course, that the flying snakes and monkey gators are delicious. Yeah, more than enough to tide them over. Um, the, uh, the the, uh, The old guard plans their next move. And it's probably going to be going to Jock's Landing to get some answers about this frame-up. Meanwhile, at the doghouse, there's a new human director, Norman King. King hates mutants, and they hate them back. But order is maintained by the harsh guns of the Styx brothers and the doghouse guards. Disloyal dogs will be weeded out and dealt with. Dude. It's a reign of terror at the uh, at the doghouse. King gets word that the Strontium dogs have landed in Antarctica, and the other uh, Strontium dogs are alerted to this. The Styxes are loyal to King because of the money he pays them, and they're the only ones that know the truth that Norman King is actually Nelson Bunker Creelman. How is it possible? The anti-mutant hate monger and Johnny Alpha's father... Dude, he was stuck in a time loop. That's what right. Happened? I guess we'll find out soon enough. Um, so with Slain ended, Strontium Dog moves to the front of the comic as the Antarctica militia flies in um, as protected by the psychic abilities of the torso. Dude. <laughs> he's, you know, he's got no head and he can sense danger coming. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like, it's ridiculous. And I, I guess people just understand everything that he's saying. He's got uh, a, com- yeah, he's got a complicated, like, a series of hand moves that he does. <laughs> it's real great. <laughs> Definitely. 
So the jetpack troops are launched as Johnny oh, yeah, warns. Yeah, right. More jetpack troops. Uh, Johnny warns against killing them though, because they don't want to add to their crimes too much. He shoots an electro flare, and they just start beating the crap out of the uh, distracted troops. <laughs> oh my god! The militia, the militia drops fire bombs, which burn up the which which uh, set fire to Frinton fur, and the old guard makes for the river to swim to safety. They manage to escape. In. Mind you, they napalm their own troops. That's right. Yeah, most of the uh, most of the, of the militia guys are in fact taken out by the um, <laughs> by the firebombs of the of the Antarctic militia itself. <laughs> it's real ridiculous. Super bad. Um, so they managed to swim to a burrow in the middle of the river of a river to make camp and get bandaged up. Even Wolf has taken some hits. He broke his arm. It seems like. They just, they decide that once the heat dies down, Johnny, Wolf, and Middenface will head to the spaceport while Torso guards the heavily injured Fuzz and Evans. The fist. At the doghouse, King raises the bounty on all the fugitives to 200,000 credits each and double for the head of Johnny Alpha. And that just basically turns everyone against them. Absolutely. 1.2 million. Yeah. The Strontium dogs are allowed to go to Earth to catch these fugitives. Oh, they're ghastly! <laughs> oh, especially the stinky one. Yeah. Well, well, we see some guys that we know already, like our buddy Egghead and stuff, as well as some new guys, including one with a lethal stench. So fucking cool. It's real awesome. Um... Johnny, Wolf, and Middenface are floating down the river as some dogs float by. We see a bunch of other strons, including a man bat and an elephant and a man elephant, um, are on the hunt. Though, so yeah, and although all they find as they search for them using the uh, the, you know, man bats uh, radar is a bunch of uh, kangaroos, which are pretty funny. Just I love all this stuff with the um, with the. New rainforest Antarctica that's replaced the once frozen wasteland. <laughs> it's uh, it's making for great comedy at the very least. Yeah, absolutely. Johnny tries to reason with them, but the eight hundred thousand credits for just these three is too much to be reasoned with. The guys are forced to fight. We got a real awesome part where Wolf hits the Batman with uh, the the happy stick. Uh, these dogs are beaten, but now every strant in the city is coming after them. Next time, three dog night. <laughs> Man, I'm so glad that this switched to front of issue. Yeah, it's definitely a great spot just for this comic that's got so much action and just so much stuff happening all at once. It's really amazing. <sighs> just, it's the thing that I've been looking forward to every time. Like, it's after, after, uh, 366. Like, things just turned up so hard, so fast. Absolutely. Yeah, these guys are just fighting their way through the whole Earth at this point. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> and speak- Yeah, and speaking of a couple guys pinned down and, uh, having to fight their way out, it's Thrill 5 Rogue Trooper. Just yeah. even this was pretty good this week. Definitely, yeah, I think so too. Uh, so, script robot for Rogue Trooper Jerry Finley Day, art robot Cam Kennedy, lettering robot Bill Nuttall. So we rejoin Rogue and the regene Gunner as they're on the move. But uh, last episode, Rogue killed a Nort Sentry, and that body's now been found. And the Nort Commander wants to take down Rogue once and for all. 
He's got a really creepy bug helmet. Yeah, I love his bug helmet, too. It's kind of Darth Vader-esque, almost. Um, Anyhow, alert the spider with a Y. (laughs) Which apparently is the world's grossest tank. Definitely. Among the GIs, tensions are high as Rogue falls behind and Gunner offers to carry his stuff. Suddenly, a tank bursts from the ground. It's a mole tank. Yeah, definitely. Spider tank. (laughs) So great. In a series of quick moves, Rogue hurdles on top of the tank and lays a mine on its turret, knocking it out. But when Rogue lands, Gunner is aiming his gun at him. Only oh. the appearance of Nort Fast Armor changes the situation. But yeah, it's kind of time for the cert- the inevitable but still surprising betrayal. <laughs> <laughs> um, the GIs go to hide in- under the hull of the spider. We'll settle this later. So, the GIs are surrounded, but when a frontal assault, uh, brings the Nor- uh, sorry, when the frontal assault begins, the Nort leader orders concentrated LAS fire, even if it'll kill his own men. Trapped in the hole of the spider, Rogue demands Gunner tell the truth, making him, like, kind of pass out and flashback to masked figures torturing Gunner to make him kill Rogue. He's been brainwashed! I, who is surprised? Nobody. I think you called this right away. Um, it seems as though he, it, the brainwashing didn't quite work because instead of trying to kill Rogue, he's just trying to engineer situations where Rogue will be killed, which is slightly different. Um, <laughs> it's not murder if you're just trying to get him killed. Yeah, definitely. Um, suddenly, though, there's attack. There, there's an attack by spacecraft. It's Billacom. The uh, the Southers wipe out the Norts, but only when they um sorry, but just when they seem to have been saved, a Nort raises his weapons. He's got Rogue in his sight. Oh man, it's the crazy general guy. Yeah, the Nort commander fires, hitting Rogue. Rogue goes to shoot back, but his gun is jammed. So if he fires it, it'll explode. Instead, he grabs Gunner's rifle and takes it down, but now we've got to figure out what we're going to do, because it seems Gunner has come too, and he's ready to kill Rogue. It's showdown time. Seems like he's ready to fight him because Rogue used his gun? Yeah, he's uh, he's getting real uh, titchy about his own stuff. You know, don't touch my stuff! Uh, I guess so. <laughs> while Gunner has superior physical abilities, he lacks Rogue's combat experience, especially once Bagman keeps Gunner from getting his rifle by, like, holding on to the gun with his servo arms, basically. Um, That's pretty cool. Yeah. Gunner instead grabs Rogue's gun, doesn't believe that it's jammed, and when he shoots it, it backfires into him and, like, blows up his upper torso! It's pretty ridiculous. Absolutely. Rogue rushes over and snags Gunner's biochip and puts it into Gunner's own rifle, and we've now returned to status quo! Hooray! <laughs> but I guess also, I mean, I guess we'll see this in the next thing. Oh no, we see it in this one. Yeah, yeah, where... yeah, we, we see it now. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, but first, the Souther genies, like genetic guys, arrive to pick up Rogue's body, and instead they find Gunner's body, as well as a recording, and the recording is like, says like, this could have been a booby trap, but instead I'm just saying that I'm a much better person than you and you guys are jerks. <laughs> it's really, I'm sure it reached someone. Definitely. Um, anyhow, uh, Rogue's walking the land, and we learn that Biochip Gunner retains his telekinesis, so basically, this side quest was worth it because we've gained an optional ability of, uh, gun flying. <laughs> so, 
ridiculous. It's pretty crazy. Um, f- next up, Rogue comes under fire, and we reestablish the telekinesis stuff right away. Um, it's July 5th, State of the South Day, the anniversary of the war beginning, and there's just sort of a south-wide broadcast of the status of the war, including like talking about the victory in the Tambuk Desert, which we saw in that Gazba storyline. But Which sudden, Rogue yeah. was very quick to point out, or no, the chips were quick to point yeah, out. Like, hey, that, that was like, us. Yeah, what the hell, man? But they don't mention us, by gar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, suddenly the video goes staticky, and a message comes through, an offer of amnesty to Rogue from, nor- from Souther forces, neither general nor genetic engineer, come to furlough and meet up. And a- apparently furlough is the Souther rest and relaxation base. Like, it's where you go mm-hmm. when you're on leave and you just spend, like, two years of back pay on some lady that's walking down the street. <laughs> Which, holy crap. It's hard out there. Um, Rogue seems to have infiltrated this place without too much trouble. He swings into the sl- location from the message and finds a meeting full of Souther captains with pistols, and they're dying to meet him. I really <laughs> feel like that's not the phrase you want to use if you no. if like next issue he's like let's be friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not a super friendly opening. Anyhow, next time on Rogue Trooper, an officer and a genetic man. All right then. I'm ex- I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty excited with this Rogue storyline. Yeah, this is um, you know, this is a a longish Rogue Trooper story called Message from Millicom. It's like I believe it's either the th- Third, the second or third to last um, Rogue Trooper stories before Rogue Trooper hits a major milestone. Ooh, it's exciting. Oh, awesome. Definitely. Yeah, and speaking of uh, exciting interstellar action, Fox. Oh, yeah. It's Thrill 6, the amazing Maze Dumar. Uh, script robot Alan Hebden, art robot Ian Gibson, letter robot Steve Potter. This is just a little two-issue story. Um, it's by our old buddy Melt- from Meltdown Man, Alan Hebden, um, and it's got some pretty cool art by Ian Gibson in the book. Strong thr- agree. Yeah, in the book Thrill Power Overload, Gibson says this is basically a trial run for Halo Jones, just making sure that he's able to draw women well enough to for sort of a regular series uh, in 2000 AD. I think he he may have gone a bit overboard with that specifically. Indeed. Um, I think this might be pointed towards teenagers. Oh, I, I mean, yeah, he's not saying he's going to draw them for women. He's drawing them for teenagers, you know? <laughs> so, uh, Lieutenant Jebel Claw arrives at a dump of an alien world to pick up a witness for some aliens, and the witness turns out to be a sexy lady! Oh man, where are her clothes? Well, the aliens took them because they, she was too dangerous. Uh, I should say that originally in this uh, picture where she first shows up, she was totally naked, but uh, then the sensors added this like um, towel around her butt um, so that you can't see it, which is uh, real, you know, not great. Let me not see that butt. Um, anyhow. Come on, man. <laughs> um, this lady, Maze Doom, uh, uh, Doom, Dumoir, I'm saying, it's kind of a French thing, or it could be a Dumoir or something, I don't know. But once she's dressed, they head out. She's a witness against Gorgon Van Klein, the, or yeah, the, uh, the richest being alive. When they're on the road, they're immediately attacked by, Klein, by Van Klein's assassins, which Maze handily takes out. 
Yeah, what's going on with that? Yeah, they arrive at the spaceport, pilot board their ship, and fly out with Maze at the controls. She flies with incredible skill, dodging missiles and blasting into hyperspace. She really is amazing. <laughs> and then, of course, after getting them to hyperspace, she's like, BRB, gotta go take a shower. Yeah, gotta got take a sexy shower. While they do that, they uh, discuss... Van Klein's crimes, which is basically um, killing 10,000 colonists by planoforming this planet to make it like a level grade 7 hothouse world. Um, terraforming the thing while people are still living there. It's yeah, it's tough. Cool. It's it's literally what, what would have happened if things went wrong in Wrath of Khan, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Think about it. Um, anyhow, she's just in a towel when she sees a nuclear device aboard the ship. So they got to get to an escape pod, and they get there, and, and they escape just in time, and go land on the on a mysterious, uncharted planet again with Maze, just in a towel. <laughs> I feel like since you told me about the censorship thing, that now he's just specifically going overboard. I mean, not nah, because like, this well, was what all. Can I show? Yeah, this is all after you know all this stuff came out at once. So, or like you know, nah. he didn't like Gibson didn't seems to not even known about it until it was all posted but he was definitely trying to be like yes like we are trying to have as sexy comic lady as possible in this story <laughs> it's fucking spectacular it's awesome um so Maze and Jebel arrive on an alien planet and are swiftly found by natives who loan Maze some clothes boo meanwhile <laughs> On Earth, Van Klein tries to have the planet Mazazon destroyed, but his customers need to know if she's told anybody else about why he killed all those people. Uh, meanwhile, Maze confesses that she's actually not a witness. She tells us to Jubal. She's not a witness. She's actually a secret agent investigating Van Klein awesome. as kind of a honeypot to get him to reveal himself. Oh, but it seems like that's all over, at least until their rescue ship is destroyed by a Zanxi slave ship, which is uh, an alien race that slaves people. But it's not that bad, actually, because it ends up because they need a super hot climate to live. So this seems to be proof that Van Klein is working with the Zanxi and Plano formed that planet to sell it to them because they can only live in a level seven hothouse world. I mean, I guess we should just assume there's no other aliens that could live on a... Well, I mean, it world. definitely points in that direction. Um, Maze reveals she's got a, ga a nerve gas capsule that affects only not humans, hidden in fake skin on her foot. They go to <laughs> just the... Just anything else. Yeah, all non-humans, definitely. <laughs> and once they are taken to the ship's bridge and the, uh, the Zangshi, like, leader there confirms the whole, um, Van Klein theory, she hits the, uh, the, the nerve gas and knocks them all out and it's time to head home. Uh, I guess mission over. Yeah, mission successful. And now then, Jebel, it's super hot in this ship, so let's get you out of this uniform, because it's time for some off-screen sex in the end of the Amazing Maze Dumar! <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I, I love... I love this little comic. It's super fast. Like, this is... Uh, this is definitely this kind of thing that would take, like, you know, um... Like, any one page could be a whole prog worth of action if they wanted to. But oh, instead, absolutely. it's just, like, in overdrive just to kind of get this as this sort of trial balloon popping things out. Uh, real fun art by Ian Gibson, for sure. Um, real ridiculous, just like, yeah, okay, 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 let's go. Yeah, fine, whatever. Uh, writing from Alan Hebden, just a lot of fun. 
<laughs> I mean, like it, it never slowed its pace, which I think no. is what's exciting about that. Like if, if it dragged somewhere near the end or something, I don't even know how you would do that. No, I With mean, only two procs. Yeah. It went from a sexy shower to there's a bomb. We got to go. Like it's crazy, Jeez. you know? <laughs> Yeah, uh, you're right. It would make an excellent film. I'd, I'd watch it. I don't know. But hey, speaking of us classic science fiction movies, Fox. Oh, thank oh, you. No problem. <laughs> it's uh, Thrill 7 Future Shocks. Oh, so, God. First we got... So stupid. This one's real dumb. Uh, it's The <laughs> Message, script robot Alan Hebden, letter robot Cliff, Cliff Robinson, letter, uh, and that, or oh, sorry, art robot Cliff Robinson, letter robot Steve Potter, a future guy flies, flies through space listening to the Blue Danube as he reads 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, on the moon, we get a scene that basically is the complete exact same as the moon scene in 2001, and the guy starts freaking out about it. Yeah, yeah he starts getting real weird, like, hey, wait, no. <laughs> yeah, just like in the book slash movie, they find a black monolith, and when the sun strikes it, it sends out a shrieking sound. Soon a message comes back from some sort of alien intelligence. Um, but instead of the secret to the universe, it looks like the whole thing is part of a giant galaxy-wide treasure hunt. They've won a free holiday to Planet Fabuloso. <laughs> and uh, tickets uh, to be collected from Interstellar Cola Company's head office on Rigel 4. That's All right. All usual competition rules apply. That's right. Our whole human civilization is just based on a soda competition. Bam, bam, bam! <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, yeah. Next up it's uh Hey Buddy, can you spare a major credit card? Oh, this one's also weird. Um script robot Alan Hebden again, art robot Monez, letting robot Steve Potter. Shout out to Monez, because this is a really like crazy art style. Absolutely. I yeah, it, it's interesting. He's not a, a, a regular, so it's fun to see kind of you guys just, just sort of jump in here. Um, this one's a two and a half pager as a future trucker tries to make a call at a truck stop phone booth, which is fully automated, but doesn't take dimes anymore. It just takes credit cards. Um, and as he gets angry about that, he's then, um, accosted by the phone booths, anti-vandalism, uh, systems. <laughs> um, it's some pretty fun, just sort of like friendly customer service robot stuff, which I usually associate with jokes about like call centers and stuff. So it's fun to see it as a, uh, as, as a phone booth. Um, wow. in the, in the end, the driver just runs the whole dang phone booth over with his truck and dry and drives off. Good thing he didn't try to use the Coca Cola machine. Wah, wow. wah, wah. <laughs> So stupid. Oh man. All the all your household items will be replaced by difficult to interface with robots. Bah, bah, bah. This is, that's such an it's a, such an old person statement. It's so I mean it's it's so funny because it there you know, this is basically Siri or whatever doing something for you, but it's for oh, a God. phone booth which don't which barely even exist anymore, you know? Oh my god, you're right. It is like uh because yeah, now everybody just has a phone or something that has its own sort of robot assistant that will talk to you and stuff. Soon you won't even need to use disgusting-looking payphones anymore. Be, be, be. Hey, not too soon. It's like 20 years from the, oh, God, when this comic right. is, you know? Oh, man, The Brick came out 85, right? Yeah, but, like, man, I don't really think of, like, widespread... <laughs> Cell phone, well, you know, as as cell phones being for anybody besides like you know rich douches, basically until like like two thousand five or six or something. Oh my gosh! 
you know, it becomes less ubiqui- it becomes more ubiquitous and less just sort of a status symbol for jerks. <laughs> I... <laughs> You're at full Conrad at this point. It's great. Man, I got opinions. Uh, I don't like a lot of things that people like, and I don't care about it. Anyhow, <laughs> with that, Fox, we oh. have finished all the thrills for this Prox 366 to 369, April and May 1984. And so the question remains, what were your top and bottom thrills? I mean, top strontium dog, clearly super victory. Number one, you're the best. I love you. I love everything that you're doing right now. Dad's <laughs> back. Uh, that's bad. Yeah. He's a real super Nazi. <laughs> I'm so excited <laughs> to see what happened. Um, yeah, bro, for bottom lines, kind of hard to say, like, all this stuff was super good, and I know that I've had a long time to think about it, but, like, <laughs> uh, I guess Ooh. it doesn't deserve it, it doesn't deserve it, but I'm gonna say Rogue Trooper. <laughs> That's fine. It is fine, I like it, but uh, I can't, I can't. I don't want to choose the two pager ones. I love DR and Quinch. And Dread was just so fantastic. Yeah, okay, man. I gotta ask you the same question. This one was hard for me. Yeah. I mean not for top, but like I'm very curious about what you consider top and bottom. No, nah, it's still it's it's a real good month. You know, we've had a bunch of real good months, um, or episodes, I guess, this year. I feel like we might be slowing down a little bit um before mm-hmm. we sort of power up for later in nineteen eighty four. Um for uh for bottom, I'm gonna agree with you. I'm gonna say Rogue Trooper. Um, man, I'm just like I'm ready. I'm ready to get to this showdown. You know, it's almost here, and so we sort of have like one or two side quests left, and then it's time to finally finish this thing off. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and I'm 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 so ready to be there that now I'm just sort of like. I get these rogue troopers and I'm like, all right, like, come on. I'm like, I'm like rolling my hand forward. Like, let's just keep this going, you know, (laughs) um, for, for top thrill. Um, Oh, like you said, there's a lot of good ones. I really love slain, which slain it slain and DR and quinch, which were only here for two and finished real strong in both cases. Um, strontium dog is real good and like the twists are real good there's a lot of action and stuff but I'm gonna say for number one I really liked uh, Judge Dredd this month fuck um, yeah man yeah you know um, I really love this Dave story just like it's got, it's like a real high point for Mega City 1 craziness <laughs> and all that stuff and you know not a lot of dread as well which is you know is i think can be real real fun when they do it right for sure um and yeah and then um i thought that the uh the second story with the art by by jim bakey was a downer but also really neat and just like a real good use of the art and then sort of bringing back some of the more depressing elements of judge dread and stuff like it had it had high highs and low lows and that's really neat hell yeah man yeah wow this man, it's just real good stuff right now. It's, it's really, true. you know, yeah, it's, I feel like, I, you know, I'm real like, you know, this is me, I'm real like, uh, complaining that like, no, I don't want dessert kind of feeling or something for the next couple of weeks where it's just going to be like, oh, like this is not the best it could be, but we're about to, we're almost there to some even more to the, to the gooey nougat of 1984, which is going to be real oh. great. 
<laughs> yeah. And anyhow, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, at our podcast site at spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages on Twitter at spacespinner2k. For everything else, look up Space Spinner 2000. We should be there. And then come back next time. As the strong team dogs are on the run, Judge Dredd takes a rookie out for her final examination. Rogue Trooper answers the message from Millicom, and we gotta keep going, cause this is Future Shock territory. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, I'm Conrad Eastbox, and we are Space Spinner 2000 Splendid Birthrig! Birthrig.